Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We are in Romans chapter 1. The expectation today is that we will finish Romans chapter 1 and we will begin our reading today in verse 18. We spent four weeks on verses 16 and 17 and now we have been expounding the text from 18 to verse 32. I think this is our fourth week on this passage. Let's read it once again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, Everything that follows in this chapter is due to the worthless worship, the failure to recognize who God is. Kavod in the Hebrew, remember, it means weight. They didn't give God the weight that he deserved, the glory he deserved. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And again, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved or reprobate or a worthless mind to do those things which are not proper, 
and being filled with all unrighteousness and wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, all their gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance or the laws of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They, they know this. You can argue it a lot of ways, but God says, no, 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 primitive people. People that didn't have Bibles, people that didn't have preachers, people that didn't have churches in the most primitive of times. He said, I sent a flood one time. There were no seminaries. There were no churches on every corner. Men were wicked and they knew they were wicked. There's no arguing about this. He says, they practice such things that are worthy of death. And they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. God bless the reading of your word. I guess I would just say why. <laughs> Eight weeks in one chapter, and I'll just tell you, um, going by how I feel after these sermons that we have preached from Romans chapter 1, I'd have to say probably the intensity level has been up a little bit. And, and, and why is that? I, I, I want to talk about that a moment before we look at the last part of this chapter. Why so passionate about Romans? Well, I can tell you over four decades of being a pastor has taught me something. A lot of people who are sitting in churches this morning do not understand Romans chapter 1. And the part that they really don't get, we didn't read, but that's verses 16 and 17, those verses that describe the gospel and how in the gospel it's the power, the dunamis, the dynamite to move the unmovable. And they, they also don't understand that in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. They really don't have a grasp on that. And when I say that to you, I promise you, I'm, I, there are all kind of stats that are out there. Billy Graham got in a lot of trouble years ago, if you can believe anybody could ever be mad at Billy Graham. But he, 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 he fostered out a, a, a percentage of people that he thought went to church every Sunday that had really no relationship with God whatsoever. And, and, and I can just tell you, I, I don't know about his number. You can see all kinds of numbers, but I have my own ideas about that. And, and I don't know that it is always people that are like, well, I know what it really means to be saved. And I know what's expected. And I know how to be saved. And I know why I need to be saved and all of that. But I'm just going to act one way and live another somewhere else. I know that goes on. But I don't think it's always that. I don't know that we have clearly define for people what is the gospel why do we need to be saved what is the big deal and then on top of that 
exactly how does all of that work out? What is it that we get from God that defines us as saved and will define others as unsaved? Jesus, as a matter of fact, said, that, that wide is the way, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many find it so, so easy to find. I, I shared with the men Wednesday night that uh, Interstate 85 is easier to find than Hudlow Road. And I know that's a duh, but it's a big road, and it goes a long ways, and it's really wide, and lots of lanes, and man, is it ever easy to get on. On Hudlow Road, you look both ways four or five times, and then you pull out and pray that there's not a log truck bearing down on you at about 80 miles an hour. No, 85, you can just zip right on there. It's a very prominent road. It's easy to find. And it is the same way that leads to eternal destruction. It's easy to find. You, you, you really won't have to look for it. Just ignore the narrow way or never really understand the narrow way. And you will find the broad one every single time. It bothers me that people don't understand the gospel and salvation because there's nothing in the world as important as that. I didn't say more important. There's nothing in the world as important as understanding what it means to be a born-again child of God. And I'd say this, my ministry is not exempt. I, I can remember people that would come down and, and we'd fill out a card and I would pray a prayer with them. I did it for years and I, I would even make it so easy as I would just simply say, hey, I will say the prayer and you just repeat after me. But boy, I would always let them know you're talking to God, you're not talking to me. And I'm not sure I'm not so sure if how many of them ever really understood that. I'm sure that some were misled into thinking that there is some kind of mantra, there's a, a magic formula, there is some words you have to say. I've even had people over the years, and it's partly my own fault for allowing it to happen, for not preaching messages like this. But people would call me and say, so-and-so's in the hospital, and they say he's probably not going to make it till tomorrow. And preacher, I don't think he's prayed the prayer. Prayed the prayer? I've never felt more Catholic in my life. Prayed the prayer. Go with him and pray the prayer. Wow. I, I think instead of just going back and trying to redo all of those things, inside your handout, I have some questions there. And I want us to begin by dealing with those this morning. We may spend more time here than we do on the text that we have read, but which is odd. Since God loves everyone, the blue... Uh, text box inside your hand. Now, since God loves everyone, why do we even need salvation? There are a lot of people that believe, hey, God loves everybody. And that's it. That, that ends the conversation right there. 
Remember I told you that John Piper purposely <laughs> misquoted this verse one time to make a point. He says, for in it the love of God is revealed. And he said that, well, you know, God could have said that because in the gospel the love of God is revealed. But that is not what he said. What he said was, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. So that means that we need to understand that yes, God does love everybody, but how does him loving me lead to me being a born again Christian versus a lost person? If him loving us was enough, if that's all it took, there would be no such place as hell. They're everybody, we would all be universalists because I can tell you, God loves us all. In 2011, Rob Bell, some of you may know him. I hope you don't know him too well, but some of you may know him. He came out with his book, Love Wins, and that was basically the announcement of his departure from evangelicalism because Rob Bell said, and he's very popular, and he's more popular now than, than, than he has been. And others like him. There's, there's quite a few, Brian McLaren and several of them. But, but the basic premise is God loves everybody, and somehow or another, in the end, we are all going to be together with God, and this idea of eternal punishment or dying lost or being separated eternally from God is just hocus-pocus, and it is not true. What Rob Bell teaches is not true. I, in a way, I, I, I wished it could be that way, but I understand why it, why it is not. Because, you see, when we accept Christ as our salvation, God gives us his righteousness as a gift of grace. Seemed like we've said that before, right? I hope, I hope we just keep saying it. We, we could stand to say it in every worship service. That's, that's, that's how you become a child of God. Not by working really hard and doing your best, but no, God gives us his righteousness as a gift of grace. And we're going to see this over and over again all throughout the book of Romans as we study through here. But, but let me just tell you this. If God was able to or decided to just say, well, you know, so-and-so is a good old boy and, and, and he's never really prayed the prayer, or he's never really been one for church much, but he's a good old honest, hard-working man. He loves his neighbors, and, and, and when their barn fell, he helped them build it back. He's just as fine a man as you'd ever meet in your life. There's just no way in the world I'm going to let him die and go to hell. Even though he's not accepted me, even though he has not repented, even though he has not cried out to be justified by my grace, or to receive my righteousness as a free gift. I'm going to be a little capricious here, boys and girls, and I'm going to just say he's okay. If he did that, then the righteousness he gives you and I would be worthless. It wouldn't be perfect. God is a righteous God. And yes, he is a God of love, but he is a God of justice and he is a God of righteousness. And when he gives me his righteousness as a gift of grace, I can tell you, I know that's pure righteousness. It's not like 
probably I would want uh, or I would be because, see, you see, by nature, I am a sinner. So uh, maybe in my mind, I just couldn't bring myself to say that some wonderful, nice people could die lost and spend eternity somewhere without God. But you see, that's because my righteousness is tainted. It's tainted by my emotions and, and my personal desires and, and my little whims that I have going on in my mind and, and, and all of that. I, I become toxic when I, when I think about uh, little things that I want and th the way I would do things. But the righteousness of God is perfect. And because it's perfect, he doesn't go in and change this, switch that. Oh, there's a lot of people we just don't see how they could possibly be lost. But it's not up to you and I. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. Man, he does love us. And if you're lost this morning, he loves you. But that's not enough. And, and before you say, well, I, that don't sound right, Mike. I think the love of God is, love is all we need, right? I think that was the Beatles. What if I told you as a parent, had you just loved your child more, he wouldn't be in jail? That's the problem. You just didn't care about him deep enough. You, you really didn't spend enough hours crying. Had you really loved your daughter with all your heart, she wouldn't be on drugs today. That's the problem. I don't need to see her. Don't bring her in. You parents are the ones that need to love that child more. You would know I'm a fool. You couldn't humanly love your children any more than you do if, if you are a normal parent, okay? I have to say that because I know some parents that don't love their children. <laughs> Hard to believe, but I know some that don't. But I'm just telling you, you know the problem is not that had I just loved them more. Your love was not enough. Your love was not enough. I've known parents that said that I would give my life if my child would come back to God. But God has already given his life, so you giving yours won't help at all. And you already love that child as much as you possibly could. And God loves that child, but that's not enough. That love has to bring about salvation by us. When we accept that gift of grace, of the righteousness of God, and give up on our own. I, I can just tell you, friend, even though God loves us, it's just not enough. Why doesn't God just save everybody? We, I hear... I, I, we, I hear a lot of people say that sometimes, and I think we don't realize that we've already been presumptive. We've been kind of arrogantly presumptive in the fact that we almost feel, if we're not careful, like we're more compassionate than God. I just can't see that. And because God doesn't fit in the way you see it, a lot of people quit believing it. And they kind of veer away. And they don't understand salvation. That bothers me. 
That's why I'm so passionate. Number two, the, the question of how righteous must I be? How righteous do you have to be to go to heaven? If you ask people that most of the time, you, I don't know what kind of answers you would get. I'll ask you, how righteous do you have to be to have a relationship with God? How much? A hundred percent. Wow. You're setting a bar high, are you not? Well, you didn't set it, did you? God is the one that set it. And you do. We have to have perfect righteousness. Let's just look at what Jesus said. A lot of times we like to act like Jesus kind of, you know, he's in the Bible, but there's a whole lot of stuff in there he didn't agree with either. I don't know where we got that notion. Let's just read what he said. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 24, I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me let you know who you're in competition with. They wouldn't drag a stick on the ground on the Sabbath because they thought it was riding. They wouldn't eat an egg that a chicken laid on the Sabbath because they felt like that was a sin. And we've gone through a bunch of those ridiculous ideas that they had. They had self-righteousness, though. That was the whole problem with them. As a matter of fact, just what is righteousness and justification? We throw those words around. They appear 500. 40 times in the New Testament and 500 or in the Bible and 520 different verses. It talks about righteousness often, but what does it mean exactly? Well, righteousness means a right standing with God. And we'll get to it in a few weeks. It's in Romans chapter 10. I'll probably be 80 by the time we get there. But listen to what Paul said about the Jewish people. He said, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're serious about their relationship with God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So from where do we get our righteousness? Should be from whom? We get our righteousness from God. And God is perfectly righteous. Matter of fact, I know it's offensive to some people because they don't read the Bible. But God requires that we be perfectly righteous to have a relationship with him. The good part is he doesn't expect us to attain it. He wants to give it to us as a gift of grace. Yeah, hallelujah. That's some great news. I, I know you might be sitting there thinking, boy, if we got to be perfect, eh, I'm just going to give up now. Good. It's the best thing you can do. There's a little song we'll sing with you. I surrender all. I just surrender all. Just, just say, God, just as I am, without one plea, 
Only chance I got in all of eternity is that your blood was shed for me. We, we got a lot of little songs like that. Because that's the best thing you could do. Stop trying to make your flesh righteous on your own power. You can never, ever do it. And I know people think highly of the Jews, and they should. But I can just tell you, Paul said they missed it. They're my own people, and I love them. But he said, my prayer is that they will be saved. And, and, and the way they're going to get saved, how will God save the Jews? The same way God will save everybody else. They must receive the righteousness that comes from God, not the righteousness that comes from zeal. Number three, how do I become righteous? This is all tied up already in verses we've already looked at. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That is a present participle. Remember, we talked about that. It means everyone who is believing. It's something we continue to do. We don't just get saved one day and the next day we're on our own. No, we continue to believe in the righteousness and the grace of God. We get saved that way, we stay saved that way, and we will be saved from the wrath of God one day with that same gospel. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. How do we get it? Well, you put your faith in God. How do you keep it? You keep your faith in God. And what will happen when God finally stands up and says, I've had enough and I'm about to turn that world upside down? You just keep your faith in God because it starts with faith and it ends with faith. It is not about how much you work for God or love God or come to church or give or any of that. It has nothing to do with our efforts at all. It is all about a gift of grace. But the righteous man shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2.4 is quoted three times in the New Testament. I think they wanted us to get that. Man. And number four. This is the universalist question. Is everybody eventually... Isn't everybody going to be saved one day eventually? Todd Pruitt, he had an article in Credo Magazine. I don't know much about Credo Magazine, but I know I like this article that I read by him this week. He says, we indulge in euphemisms. A euphemism is where we take a, a word that may be strong and, and weaken it. So we say golly instead of just the usual cuss word. That's a euphemism. We indulge in euphemisms, replacing the word sin with mistakes. We acknowledge being imperfect as though anyone expects us to be perfect in the first place. It was so easy to say, I'll tell you right now, I'm not perfect. That's the easiest thing in the world to say. Nobody ever expected you to be perfect. And you know it and I know it. That's, that's easy to say. And these ways, he says, we seek to blunt the moral catastrophe 
of our sin. We don't have to take our sin so seriously. It's a mistake, like you backed into a car you didn't see, or you accidentally stepped on something that, that you didn't intend to, or, 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 or whatever. And I'm, I could go on just an hour giving you my own catastrophes. In these ways, we blunt the moral catastrophe of our sin. Such efforts then place, listen to this, the onus on God to prove how he could not save such basically decent folk like us. I want us to understand how ungodly that thinking is. It's not, it's not just a different opinion. No, when we look at God and say, God, how could you not save decent people? Do you realize what we have done? You remember the book I told you about by C.S. Lewis, God in the Dock? The dock was where the witnesses had to sit in, in England in the courtrooms. That's, that's the little place you would sit, and that's where you would be cross-examined. He says, we have put God in the dock, and we are demanding that he tell us the truth, the whole truth, and not the bus, nothing but the truth. And then we're going to cross-examine God. Because now, because of our emotions that we have imputed and our sentiments that we have brought into the plan of salvation, we want God to prove to us how can he be righteous and let good, decent people die and go to hell. you got to answer God, I'd like to hear it. How arrogant of us. How arrogant of us. Man, I don't think we properly understand the sinfulness of sin. This is also from Todd Pruitt. on the front of the handout, I think. And the holiness of God. We would not be conflicted over the fact that salvation is not universal. Rather, if we understood sin and understood the holiness of God, we would marvel at the fact that God saves anybody. Instead of leaning over that rail and saying, why don't you tell the court today, God? How it is you can let good, decent, fine folks go to hell and be justified. I think one of the greatest examples, and we'll look at this and move on, but you remember in Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, man, I had a vision. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. He was in the temple. The place was shaking. Smoke filled the place. He said, I saw God. I, I, I saw God like, like nothing else. I'll read one verse, Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, he said. He said, this was my response, for I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, when I looked in that temple, I didn't see anything that resembled me. I didn't feel invited to go in. I didn't feel worthy to join in with the flying creatures and to praise God. This is actually what he did say. These are his own words. I felt, whoa. I felt lost. I felt unclean. 
And he says, I know also I'm a part of unclean people. His unclean lips from the heart, that's where the mouth speaks. He said, I'm dirty in here, God. And when it comes out here, it's dirty. And he says, I dwell among people that are just like me. But if you'll notice, he started with himself. That's a great place to start. Before you start on the rest of the crowd, say, God, first of all, I am a person of unclean lips. Woe is me, God, for I am sinful. Well, I know that's a lot. But people have to understand why it is that we need to be saved. And we can sit around, and I I don't know, it just blows my mind how people can so casually say, well, but you know, preacher, the way I see that, you can stop right there. Because it doesn't matter how you see that. It doesn't matter how I see that. I I get criticism from time to time from people that go, well, you know, I just see that a different way. Who cares how I see it? Why did you ever give a rip about how I saw it? Don't ever quit this church because of the way I saw it. Man, I say dumb things all the time. I, I know it's hard to believe. Just ask my wife. I say dumb things all the time. I'm wrong a lot of the time, but read the Word of God and you and God have a conversation and you let God know that you're holding His feet to the fire and that He is not measuring up to your personal sentiments. Let Him know that. You have the conversation with Him because what we are preaching is His Word and not our own. We talked about in this passage already, let's look at the outline on the back of the handout. The rebellion we have demonstrated, the revelation we've disregarded. I want us to to look quickly at the recklessness we have displayed. In verse 26 and 27, for this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. God gave them over to their own passions. He gave them the freedom that they always wanted, that they demanded. One of the greatest curses that God can ever place on your life is to give you the freedom you demand. I want to be whatever I want to be, God. I want to love whoever I want to love. And I I just demand, God, that if you're not in line with it, that you get in line with it. Because I want to be able to do whatever it is I want to do. And God says, I'll tell you what I did to those people. When they got away from me like that and they went down this path of no return, I just gave them over to their own passions. I gave them the freedom that they had begged for for so long. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes... Solomon says, I finally figured out some things. He says, more and more of the things you lust for will never, ever satisfy you. 
And it's not just insatiable. It's not that, well, I just want more sex. And that's the subject he's dealing with here. We could use a lot of illustrations. But it's not that, he says, it's, it's not that just more and more and more of a, of a thing is what you want. You begin to deviate. And that's exactly what happened here. The lust got so great that men left the natural function of a woman and they turned to each other and they started making out with each other. And then the women did the very same thing. He says, when you just keep on taking it to the next level of human depravity, you don't just intensify what you're doing. You deviate even more so from the truth of God and his design. Paul Actemeyer, I'll read a quote by him quickly. He says that what Paul describes here, the kind of life he describes in these two verses, cannot be understood as any alternative lifestyle somehow acceptable to God. That's what a lot of people say. Some say he's not talking about homosexuality here. That what he's talking about is heterosexuals who got caught up in homosexuality. Where, where did you get that? How do you say that? How did you come up with that other than that's just what you want to believe? But he says, Actimar says, but rather this is a sign of one of the forms of God's wrath. It says his wrath takes this form when he allows us free reign to continue in our own abuse of creation and in our abuse of one another's, of one another as creatures. William Barclay, I have no reason to doubt him, but he says 14 of the first 15 Roman emperors were homosexual. This is not something new. As a matter of fact, in the ancient Greek world, men didn't believe that true love could even happen between a man and a woman. She was not worthy of that. So true love, what happened between men? And usually these men would start out with young boys. It was debauchery, it was depraved, but, but it went on. And God says it went on because I just gave them over to the freedom that they thought they could not live without. Not only the recklessness we have displayed, the ruin we have discovered. <laughs> Here is the list of 24. Paul gives us, and I want to say this before we go on. When we read Romans 1, remember what we said from the outset. This is not those people. This is Gentiles. He'll get to the Jews in chapter 2. This is us. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that you've been caught up in everything we've talked about so far. I'm just telling you that Paul is saying, this is what happened to the Gentile world. And he'll switch gears clearly in chapter 2 and move to the Jews. And then he will finally sum it all up by saying in 323, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So don't sit here today and go, boy, he preached about those gay people today. And I'm telling you, man lie. Boy, he let them have it. I'm not letting anybody have it. I'm telling you what our problem is. He lists these. We'll name a few. They're in your handout. Unrighteousness is one of them. 
Of course, that is the opposite of being righteous. That's being out of standing with God. Wickedness, and these definitions aren't complete, but it's just one facet of them that I am giving you here. Wickedness is something that actually does involve the damage of others as well. It's, it's you're something to be around. People around you, you suck them into your own behavior. And, and people that hang out with you wind up being bad as well. You are the wrong crowd. Greed, that is the accursed love of having. Got to have this. Got to have that. And not only do I want it, I want it now. Evil, kakia, perpetual tendency to be bad if there's a way to make something bad if there's a way to make a joke about something that that's snide or un, off color or whatever or to think a bad thought or or to have evil lust in some situation our evilness will allow us to do that envy Seeing a good example and resenting it instead of being inspired by it. That's just one facet of it. But envy, when we see people that are being blessed and we, when we see people's lives that they, they just seem to be happy all the time and they have half of what we have and, and, and instead of being inspired by them, we try to find something wrong in their life. Murder is another one. Phanos, the intention to destroy another in some way. Strife, the word eris is the incessant desire to be the winner, to be right. You cannot stand to be wrong. Man, I can tell you, if you've ever met anybody that they just are not going to be wrong. Just no matter what, they're going to be right. I can tell you, when two of them get together and get married, all I can say is just dive behind something. Stuff will be flying soon. Have to be right. Deceit. That tortured desire to appear better than one actually is. Some people's whole life is a charade. They tend to exaggerate. It's one of the words that you would associate with this. Let me just tell you something. If you're the kind of person, and we've all met them, but you find your significance in what you have done or accomplished, then one great temptation you'll always have is the temptation to exaggerate. Oh, the fish you caught weighed more than anybody's. And fishermen, I'll start with them because we tend to lie. I, I, and when I say that, <laughs> let me just tell you this. I used to catch giant bass. I'm a bass fisherman and a deer hunter. I used to catch five, six, seven, eight. I even caught one that was 11 pounds one time. Huge. It's a big bass. And then something happened, not with the water or the boat or the bait, but something happened and all of the bass I caught from then on were way smaller. You know what happened? I bought a fish scale. Don't ever buy one. I've got a new one in my boat right now. I haven't even put the batteries in it. I don't even want to look at it. 
anathema. Start weighing them. Oh, you're reeling one of those seven pounders. Two pounds. What's wrong with these scales? Same way with deer. Oh, I was dumb enough to go buy a deer scale. I used to kill monsters. Monsters. Start weighing those 225 pound deer. 110. Oh my goodness. Don't live deceitful. Just be honest. I'll never forget one time I was on my way to preach a revival and I'd already preached several nights that week and I was riding with the pastor over to the church. And I won't ever forget, he told me, because I'd played golf that day, I think, and he said, yeah, I don't play golf. He said, I went one time, one time in my whole life, played 18 holes, and he said, I shot 72 and never went back. I thought, I'm about to go preach in your church. And you just lied. Now, you may go, well, now he might have. That's because you've never played golf, right? Oh, yeah. Man, alive. I play Army-Navy golf, friend, on my best day, or when I did play. Left, right, left, right, and in the water. No need to exaggerate. It's incredible. Anyone can fall into it. Malice always opposes that others' intentions are always supposes others' intentions are, are bad. You, you just think the worst of people. Everybody's out to get you. It's the way you feel. And some may be, but not everybody. Gossip, one who whispers harmful words. Slanderers, one who publicizes harmful words. Haters of God. People who saw God or see God as an impediment to their life and their freedom, they wind up hating God. Insolent. They hurt others just for the pleasure of hurting them. They don't care. We see it nowadays. They're playing the knockout game again where you just walk up to an innocent individual and haul off and knock him out just as cold as a turnip and you just go on with your life like nothing happened. It's a game. How did that get to be a game? Insolent. This is us. This is the Gentiles. This is our, how far away from God we became. Arrogant. That's where you have contempt for everyone but yourself. Boastful. You pretend to have and be what you're not or don't. Inventors of evil. We get bored sometimes with ordinary vice. Oh, we want to take it to a whole nother level. And I will tell you this, if I don't live long enough to see it, some of you will. The same war we're having right now about homosexuality we will have before long with pedophilia. In fact, the war has already started. Because when one thing gets boring, we'll invent something. Sad. Notice 17, disobedient to parents. Without understanding, without understanding, they just never learn from experience. 
Never. Untrustworthy means they dishonor their own words. Unloving, astorgos is the word. Storge is a word for family love. So these people don't even love the people they ought to love. People that have taken care of them, given them everything that they could, have sacrificed for them. They don't even love them. They just spit in their face and go on with their life. That is the precise meaning of astorgos. Unmerciful. Boy, this is the joy of seeing others fail or watching other people hurt. Well, let's go to our last point and we'll close. We have looked at in these eight weeks or four weeks the rebellion we demonstrated revelation and we totally disregarded God told us, showed us who he was. The recklessness we've displayed, the ruin we have discovered, the repulsiveness that we have defended in verse 32, I'll read it. And although they know the ordinance of God, they know the law of God, they know the design God has for marriage and for sexuality and all of that. Let's quit arguing about it and let's quit acting like that we just can all have our own opinion. Don't play dumb with God. He said, they know the ordinance of God. That those who practice such things are worthy of death. Not only do we know God said don't do it, but we even know if you do it that you should die for it. We even know the penalty. But he says they not only do the same, but give hearty approval to those who practice them. Translated maybe more Literally, they demand approval for what they're doing. They want hearty approval for it. And it's not like, don't be ashamed of it. They'll dare you to be ashamed of it. They want to give public hearty approval for those that do these things. So if you're wondering, why is it that some in our world today seem so militant about, well, everybody needs to do this. We need to start an elementary school teaching our children these things. They need to be exposed to all of this as well. And this trash, it winds up in our public school libraries sometimes and places like that. It is all a part of demanding hearty approval for things that are depraved in the sight of God. Being marginalized is not acceptable anymore. Being normalized is the goal. It's not a sin. It's just normal. We've taken a look at why we need salvation. And how we can have it. Now, please don't miss this last point today. I know a lot of this chapter is negative. I didn't write it. You may say, well, it sounds like you did. I didn't. You know that. I'm just preaching what he said. But here is the good news. The whole book of Romans is not about how bad we are. It's about how saved we can be.
So let's don't argue about our sins anymore. Let's just say, yes, God, I'm a sinner. And I need to be saved. You know, it says that Jesus is our advocate. If when we're born again, he is our advocate. That's like an attorney that goes before the Father and says, I know Mike Snellgrove, boy, he is a worthless creature, but he trusted in me and I gave him my righteousness as a gift of grace. So before the Father, I have an advocate. My attorney's there. Stop trying to be your own attorney. Stop arguing about your sins. Stop making excuses. Well, I do this, and I know so-and-so says it's a sin, but I don't see anything wrong with it and all that. Quit being your own attorney. It is true that he who represents himself in a court of law has a fool for a client. You have an even bigger fool for a client to try to defend your sins. Just say, God, I accept your forgiveness, and I want your righteousness, God. And I want to put my faith in you, not in me doing better. I've said I was going to many times, and I didn't. I promised I'd quit things I never have. I promised I'd start things I never did, God. My righteousness is worthless, God. I want to put my faith in your righteousness God and I want to accept that as a gift of grace from you you are my only hope God let's pray our father we thank you for your precious salvation Lord sometimes we do need to be reminded of just how badly we needed it sometimes God we have to look at your word and have it speak to our hearts, Lord, about the seriousness of our disobedience, where it leads and where it's led. But God, we thank you for loving us. And we thank you, Lord, that that love has led to an opportunity for us to receive your perfect justification for us to put our faith in you, our faith and trust, God, in your righteousness and not our own. Lord, ours is so imperfect. It falls so short. And Lord, we rejoice, though, that yours is not. It's not imperfect at all. It's not capricious. It's, it's, does it hinge on emotions, God? But Lord, it is pure and perfect. And we thank you for that. We praise your name today. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.